Lymphoma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the Lymphoma Hub Podcast. Today we'll be hearing from Bjorn Chapoy of Göttingen University in Germany and Letitia Quintanilla Martinez Defend of Tübingen University, Germany. Hello, good um, afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is uh, Bjorn Chapoy. I'm uh, one of the two speakers of the German Lymphoma um, Alliance Working Group for Aggressive Lymphoma. And um, I'm, I'm sitting here together with um, Letizia Quintana Fend, who is also an attending um, of pathology, um, also based in, um, in Germany at the University of Freiburg and um, based in one of the German reference centers for lymphoma. And um, we were both discussants at the, this year's online ICML um, meeting. And we want to give you a brief summary of what things we have discussed. So we were tasked in this one um, debate question, um, if diffuse large B cell lymphoma is one disease um, um, or not. And that's um, a, a challenging question for a five minutes discussion here, but, um, um, and, and then our particular part was um, because we already agree that um, diffuse large B cell lymphoma is a clinical as well as molecular heterogeneous disease. How much of this uh, noun molecular heterogeneity can be and should be quantified for um, routine diagnostics? And, and, and that's where I really want to get started. So um, we had kind of conflicting um, partnerships in this particular debate, and this is what's um, um, set up the way. But um, let's get started. So um, I was I would say most people of you might know that um, we have contributed in recent um, efforts to integrate um, structural variants, mutations, and copy numbers in diffuse large B cell lymphoma, and um, unveiled and previously unappreciated um, heterogeneity on a genetic basis in diffuse large B cell lymphoma. Identified at least five subsets, which provided insight into prognosis prediction. Uh, molecular targeted treatments, as well as lymphoma genesis. And um, I think I laid out that it's a good thing to capture molecular heterogeneity. But before I start um, uh, talking too much, Leticia, do you want to say why, what, what's your point of how and, and, and when we should start to capture what kind of um, molecular heterogeneity in diffuse large B cell lymphoma and routine diagnostics? Well, first of all, before I start, I think we have to agree and disagree in some things. And the first things that I disagree is that I don't work in Freiburg. I work in Tübingen, um, at the University of Tübingen in the pathology. And indeed, we are working on this um, genetic classification and we're trying for um, our clinicians, hematologists to do and uh, provide some information, some genetic information, doing some panel, um, including some genes. And this is one of the main discussions that we had before. Um, I think the role of genetic classification is important. That is the first thing. I think we both agree on that. Um, the problem is how to introduce this into the daily diagnosis and how to utilize this uh, for the patients, for the good of the patients. So I think there is a genetic classification. There have been several studies and these studies have shown definitely that this classification is biologically important and is recognizing different groups of diffuse large B cell lymphoma. So how to proceed from here? So what, what should we do that um, we can really introduce this genetic classification into our daily um, routine diagnosis and practice? And I think that is where we will start uh, or need to start working and improve um, among all laboratories 
not only of pathology, because not everything is done on pathology. And this is something um, that needs to be harmonized. It needs to be really planned well, and it needs to be, you know, unified, uh, not only in one university, but across universities, not only in Germany, but across, around the world. And that is, to me, the main, the main, main, main hurdle right now to, to achieve. Yeah, so I'm sorry for, for getting the, the wrong location. I'm really sorry, obviously, you're in Tübingen. And um, so, so I completely agree. I mean, the, the thing which is, um, is, is, is challenging is, you know, a classification only makes sense if it has a meaning. And at this point, I think um, where, where some of the differences come uh, in most people's view, I think, you know, you always need to keep, uh, keep in mind what's the goal of a classification. If you want to dissect biology, I think nobody would disagree that it's important to capture these genomic signatures we and others have identified. And um, the, the next question is, does it make sense to do this on the Friday afternoon for a patient who comes in maybe a little bit later today? And, um, and do we measure their genomic heterogeneity? And um, the answer is in a clinical routine setting in 2021, Outside clinical trials, certainly not. And um, so, so this comes from the discussion who was tasked to say yes. Uh, but um, that has to do, you know, um, what would we do with this information? If, if, um, if we have anything which is actionable, we would measure it. But in this moment, many of the things are not actionable. And, um, and um, so if the answer would be, well, we have a clinical trial, which is asking if molecular classification can be used to make actionable genetic-based uh, genetic and molecular-informed choices of ta targeted treatments, then the answer to this is certainly yes. And that, I think, uh, boils down from my perspective to um, kind of the solution of where we will be. Um, and everything you mentioned is true. Yes, I think we need to measure and recognize genomic heterogeneity in order to make actionable alterations feasible, but we are not quite there yet. And um, that has to do with in a routine setting, whatsoever in an out, uh, outside hospital, it's not something which you want to deal with clinical trials on a Friday afternoon. But, but, but if 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 in order to come and make that a routine thing in maybe five years or ten years, we need now to start making these trials in which we recognize this. So I, I clearly advocate, and, and I'm I'm a big fan of measuring as many molecular features in clinical trials to understand which particular patients are benefiting or not benefiting because everything we do in clinical trials is built on a hypothesis and usually you can learn if you have more granularity in molecular basis to understand this so um do, do, would you agree on that um uh, Letizia, or what's your point of view on this well i mean indeed i i do agree with that but um, one has to think that um you know we are in the era of our job and we know that our job is the standard and um we need to really figure out whether there are other options of treatment. Indeed, we can do the classification, the molecular classification, and say, well, these patients respond well to our job and these patients respond not as well as our job. But then the next step is really to identify the targetable drugs, the, the things that we want to targetable. And as long as we don't have these um, drugs, it's going to be very difficult that it really um, comes into the clinical practice. I, I think from the pathology point of view, um, there are many things that we can do to improve the time around of giving this information. I can tell you, we are doing already some panels here in Tübingen 
and our turnaround time is around one week, which I think is already very good when you compare to the you know weeks that you um, need in a, in a clinical trial or in a, in a research setting. So, I mean, that is one of the points if you want to decide to take decision based in what um, we are doing, indeed it's not going to be on Friday afternoon, but um, you know, probably on, on Wednesday or Thursday next week, then um, we really need to start um, thinking about this, about um, uh, doing it and uh, giving this information to the clinicians. But I think there is also from the clinical side, a lot of work to do and try to really, um, you know, make tr uh, clinical trials with different drugs, targetable drugs, and really demonstrate that um, this is going to be feasible. You know, you, you get a drug, you target the pathway, um, you need very soon to know which pathway and this drug is is really working, and then this will be the happy story, but we are still not there. That is the problem. Well, so here we can have now some oppose, opponent points of view. I mean, um, so at this ECML, not in our session, but at the ECML, there was the first evidence of a molecular informed clinical trial, which did the following strategy. So they did debulking from, um, um, from a patient a diagnosis so that you have time to do all the stuff. And they gave them one, uh, one cycle of RCHOP and did targeted sequencing as well as a fish in routine diagnostic. This is a study from Shanghai by Mushin. Uh, I forgot her last name. Um, um, she was in the plenary session and it's called CHOP, Chop Plus X. And um, based on this informed decision, they randomized the patients for the subsequent five cycles to either standard RCHOP or RCHOP plus a molecular informed target. And that could be, for example, um, they made it more molecular than it was because it was basically lenalidomib versus ibrutinib versus decitabina based on PFP53 mutations, decitabina if you have um, some ABC type ibrutinib, and if you have some non-APC, non-P53 mutated, they gave some lenalidomib. And they demonstrated that the, the primary endpoint of the study was complete response rate after a given time frame was met. So we have now a clinical trial demonstrating that um, you have an improved complete response rate um, that has not yet translated to secondary endpoint. I think they showed a curve of PFS, but we are certainly in the in the time where people do this in the world, and we are in the uh, in the in the in the time where um, where this is uh, translating into into routine diagnostics and clinical decision making. Um, not yet in Germany, um, not yet in Europe, um, but uh, this is something which uh, which happens. It has not translated to an overall survival um, advantage because this is a small trial, I forgot, of 50 or um, 60 patients in each arm or 50, 41, something like that. Um, and, um, and and that's we are not quite there yet in terms of this, but um, it is happening in real time uh, now. And this has complete uh, like completed accrual and we're waiting for the data to mature. So I think it's only a question of time to see this data maturate. And you know, as I indicated, I think we need to do it to prepare today for tomorrow. And um, and and what you just described is absolutely right. You're already there having targeted panels and can make this diagnosis in a week. And I think now the clinical uh, standpoint is to you know we find a strategy to give you the time by debulking first. I think this is something which. Um, 
which will be um, um, coming up in the next couple of months or maybe the next year. The question is if it's really beneficial. So because um, from my clinical point of view, there was a high selection bias in this trial and you know the data was too much immature to make, make that point. So I'm not sure if it will met the criteria to have a better overall survival. So all this molecular diagnostic makes only sense if you have an actionable target and if that's better than what you had before. And that's one of the challenges in, in diffuse large B cell lymphoma. The bar is so high, you know, you can achieve with standard uh, CHOP in a good clinical setting with optimal support therapy, 80% overall survival. And if you have that, it's very difficult to improve over that. And um, so, so that's my, my, my thought in response to this. Um, what's your thought on the CHOP-X trial? But actually, one of my questions to you is because, I mean, to the future, we need to think if we want to really start doing this genetic classification, what type of uh, technique will you, um, you know, consider? Because I know you are a whole genome. I mean, if you are going to do it, you want all the information. But I mean, if we are going to be doing it for diagnosis, the easiest is targeted genes. How many genes do we want to have? How many genes do we need? I mean, we, we need to start somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, don't misunderstand me. Sure, in, in research settings, I'm an absolute fan of as large and as deep as you could go, but I'm not stupid, right? And um, I know that in, 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 in clinical routine diagnostic, you need to be efficient. You were not dealing with whole genomes. You wanted to have targeted panels. I still think that it's better to not focus only on mutations because um, mm -hmm. diffuse large B cell lymphoma um, have um, mutations, copy number alterations, and structural variants. And I think it is, um, it is not smart to just neglect half of the genetic alterations because it's easier to measure the other half. And um, so that's something we need to work on and need to agree on and harmonize in centers, across groups, and clearly also um, um, also from a technical aspect, this is a hybrid capture approach. And, and this is something we need to figuring out, um, but, but my point would be to start today or yesterday rather than um, when, when, when some other, like, like, rather than tomorrow and, or in a year. So, um, so maybe we can agree on this. And um, yeah. I, I think we're almost at the end of, um, uh, of this uh, podcast. So thanks everyone for chiming in. Um, that would have been my uh, summary. Maybe Letizia also wants to have a, a final comment and we thank you for, 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 for listening. I think my final comment will be um, the genetic classification is important because we are learning about the biology of diffuse large B cell lymphoma. And the big challenge that we have right now is how to transfer that into the clinical practice. And there is where we need to work all together. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. See you next year. Thank you for listening to the Lymphoma Hub podcast. We would also like to thank our supporters, Bristol Myers Squibb, Genentech, Insight, Roche and Novartis. Lymphoma Hub podcasts brought to you by Scientific Education Support.